welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. If you are listening to this, that means you're, you are a subscriber to CCM Plus. Our Not So Deep Dive episodes are solely for CCM Plus subscribers. So thank you for signing up. If you have subscribed through anywhere besides Apple Podcasts, we should have given you access to our Substack and Google Drive. If you don't have access to that, uh, you should check your spam folder. And if not, email us at chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we've been uh, getting a lot of emails. Is, and the link is in the show notes. And then if you are on Apple Podcasts, uh, please email us at chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. We'll give you access to all the written research that comes along with the subscription. But either way, thank you for signing up. CCM Plus, it's been fun uh, as the first subscribers joining us as we have started for about a month here. But today we're going to be talking about Disney. We have Brad Freeman joining us the show today. Brad, this was your choice. I have to ask, Disney is a well-known company, I think known by basically everyone, but they're in a bit of a transitional period. So is that why you chose them for the show this week? Yeah. Um, so part of part of the investing process for me is finding these bellwethers like a, like a PayPal or like a meta, meta platforms that are kind of undergoing and in meta I've owned for a long time. So PayPal is probably a better example, just kind of undergoing makeovers and transformations and, and uh, philosophy changes that people aren't really believing in and giving them credit for. Um, and, and just figuring out which ones I think have the highest probability of success. And that I do believe in the most um, and, and in terms of Disney and, and all the money they're spending on streaming. And I guess that last quarter that they just had, which I'm sure we'll talk about was a positive data point. Um, I, I, I think people, um, are, are a little hesitant about them kind of carving this niche in a, in a streaming world that's getting wildly competitive and um, and being entered by every single deep, deep pocketed mega cap in the world. And and so I, I, I wanted to learn more to see um, if I believe in this, um, because if, if it if it does work out and if they do become this this streaming um, dominator, I think there's a lot to like here. But I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about the probability of that actually happening or, or, or how it could happen. Yeah, that's a great tease for the discussion we'll have later in the show. I'm sure we're going to talk about profitability, the parks and products segment, profitability, or really potential profitability of streaming. But Ryan, why don't you introduce Disney? Um, A lot of people know their history, but I'm sure you're going to give a brief history there. And there are two large segments, media and parks and experiences. Sure. So Disney is put simply an entertainment company and they generate revenue, obviously a ton of different ways and kind of at the center of it or What's tying it all together is the storytelling and the intellectual property. And so there is these, there's obviously synergies between the films and then the parks and the the cruise lines and the, you know, they have plays at the cruise lines of films that they've made 30 years ago. So it's like, there's tons of synergies and they're all pretty much built around storytelling. And so Disney breaks up its business into a two segments that are comprised of their own sub segments. But the, the first one is DMED is the abbreviation. It's digital media and entertainment distribution. Basically it's the linear networks, direct to consumer, 
which is where they're plowing a lot of their resources right now. And then content sales and licensing. So linear networks, that includes channels like ABC, Disney, ESPN. And then a lot of these have their own sort of sub channels. So ESPN, U, ESPN, two, ESPN, or ESPN news, all that stuff. The Ocho. ESPN a, the Ocho. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. They, they have the Excel competition. Is that a real, <laughs> is ESPN, the Ocho a real thing or is that? They, 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 they was dodgeball. Fake in dodgeball, but then they made it a real thing for like the real sub categories, like the Excel world championships. Interesting. Okay. And then they have like national geographic as well. Um, and they generate revenue on these primarily through affiliate fees from multi-channel distributors. So think like the cable providers pay to get ESPN as a part of their bundle. Um, and then uh, advertising as well on those channels. And then the the second segment, that's their DTC or direct consumer segment that owns several streaming channels. Most people are probably familiar with it, especially if you are uh, looking into Disney today as an investment, it's Disney plus ESPN plus Hulu, Disney Plus, Hotstar, and Star Plus. Hotstar and Star Plus, I believe they're two Indian uh, uh, streaming channels. Yeah, less well-known anecdotally to us. But yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of experience with that, but they they are profitable. Or prob, no, not profitable. They are popular in their uh, specific market, which I believe is just India. I could be getting that wrong. And then the last one is the content sales and licensing. This can consists of fees paid to third party paid by third party services to offer Disney's film and TV productions to their own customers. So um, think like Netflix airing a, a Disney movie um, that that's basically what's comprised here. And then it's worth noting here that Disney is slowly removing a lot of its content from, or a lot of its library from third party services because it's trying to bring everything in house. So this should Unless I'm wrong, I'm thinking about it should be a dwindling revenue source over time or a smaller percentage of the overall pie from for Disney. And then the last thing on the media and entertainment, it also includes theaters paying Disney for distribution, pay-per-view products, and then licensing to like stage plays. And there's a whole bunch of little ancillary ways they can generate revenue. Um, and then the second segment is Disney Parks Experiences and Products or DPEP. Um, and it accounts for all the revenue generated by the theme parks, the resorts, the cruise lines, and there's like other true like physical uh, experiences that people can pay for. And then there's consumer product sales as well. So the theme parks, resorts, they have resorts that are, well, they have parks that are paired with hotels and resorts all around the world. So there's most people know these Disney World, Disneyland, California, Disneyland, Paris, Hong Kong and Shanghai resorts, which they technically only own a little under 50% of each of those, uh, but they get consolidated into their operating income. And then uh, the revenue that, gen- that they generate there are theme park admissions, as well as merchandise sales, food and beverage sales, room nights at the hotels, and some other smaller ways as well. And then they have the cruise lines, very similar to the theme parks in terms of monetization. And then the consumer products, this includes sale from their own Disney stores, sales from their own Disney websites, and... Um, wholesale channels also. So I have a, a, a friend's dad who has a manufacturing business where they uh, build toys essentially on behalf of Disney. They get uh, royalty rights or royalty fees from those kind of manufacturers to sell Disney goods. So that's included there as well. I think that covers the basics of the business pretty much. Do you know, this is a small part of the business, but do you know where video game licensing is? I'm not sure what that's I assume true. that would be content sales and licensing yeah. in the digital media and entertainment segment. Okay. Um, 
that's my assumption but there's so much like i mean the big thing is just streaming and or streaming and linear networks plus parks that's the big things and there's a lot of other smaller ones yeah i guess consumer products is pretty big but uh parks is kind of the big profit driver for that yeah and cons yeah and consumer products are typically sold at the parks and they're you know kind of yeah. there's they're, the they're all tied in together yeah exactly um but i'll go into the history because this is obviously a historic business and one that's fun to read about um so it was the early 1920s walt disney had created or founded a film studio in kansas city they created a short film called alice's wonderland it did not do very well and so the studio had to file for bankruptcy um however in the bankruptcy they sold the rights to the film to uh, a new york distributor named margaret winkler and they distributed it and shortly after it became a really big hit and so they signed disney to a contract for six alice comedies and so walt disney and his brother roy paired up in hollywood to build walt disney brothers studios or not walt disney disney brothers studios and that was sort of the genesis for what now has become the modern walt disney company um, and then from the 1930s on they obviously had a ton of animation films that did really well and then in 1952, Walt kind of had his first idea for what would eventually become Disneyland. Roy was not the, he wasn't totally on board with this. So it was kind of Walt's own thing at the time. And that's why uh, when Disney, he was really the one that pushed the parks and believed this could really be something. And I mean, this is kind of like one of the greatest entrepreneurial stories of all time, I think. And it's like one where intuition played a huge part in it because Roy was against it. And that's why it ended up being becoming the Walt Disney World specifically and not the Disney Brothers or Disney World, that kind of thing. So um, anyway, the, the park officially opened in 1955. At the time, it cost $1 to get into the park. Guests had to pay additional rides, but uh, needless to say, they've raised prices since. Um, and then they were expecting around 11,000 people the first day, 28,000 people showed up. It was a huge success, um, and they parlayed that into a ton of success with other parks as well. And then in 1966, Walt Disney did pass away. Um, shortly after, Roy, his brother, became the first CEO of Disney. And I'll kind of go through some of the important successors, but after Roy's death, there are basically two that I think are worth noting. Uh, Michael Eisner and Bob Iger. So Eisner assumed the role of CEO in 1984 after his time of, uh, as president of Paramount Pictures, and he was largely responsible for Disney's push into the television industry, um, which is kind of, you know, you know, they have, I mean, that's a huge segment of their business now, the linear network. So kind of, kind of the, the person behind that. And then Eisner passed the torch on to Bob Iger and Iger, there's some dispute around I guess he may some people think he had his faults he's kind of a little bit of a controversial figure but he did three deals that were essential into what disney became today and that was acquiring pixar from steve jobs in 2006 for seven and a half billion acquired full control of marvel for four billion in 2009 and acquired lucasfilm for four billion dollars in 2012. that is a huge uh component of yeah. the streaming value prop today and uh, so just and the expansion of the parks yeah that as well and so it's it, it's been a big driver of the success and so 
for any faults that he had, he he made three really critical deals that have been highly successful. And now Bob Chapek is the CEO, but I'm going to leave that to uh, Brad to discuss. Brett, you want to touch on the industry and uh, competition? Yeah, pretty easy one, I think, since it's, it's important though here for the streaming side. Yeah, it's, it's an easy one to see, like everyone kind of knows because you're touching you know, all the different things as a, as a consumer. But the global entertainment and media industry is estimated to be a touch over $2 trillion and it's expected to steadily grow this decade. I think it's steadily grown over multiple decades as people in richer Western nations um, and more Eastern nations too have gotten richer and more free time. I think it's probably the best way to put it. Uh, but let's go to the two most important categories, which I would say are video streaming and the global amusement park industry. So the video streaming market is estimated to be about $80 billion in 2022, and then it's going to steadily grow to $139 billion by 2027. As we all know, streaming uh, video penetration is slowly killing broadcast uh, and cable. I'm not sure when the final nail will be put into the coffin, but... I don't know. Place your bets. Could be sometime this decade. Might not be for 20 years, but it's streaming is slowly gaining share. We've seen the charts all over the place. Now, the global amusement park industry, which Disney dominates, was estimated to be about $73.5 billion in 2019. That is pre-pandemic. So that's why I use that number. Now, if we look at competitors in streaming video, you'd probably maybe put two different categories. There'd be sports streamers and traditional streamers that are just kind of doing dramas, comedies, reality TV. There's Netflix, which we all know, HBO Discovery, Amazon, and Apple. Now, Amazon and Apple are heavily getting into sports, or maybe not heavily. They're dipping their toe. They might get heavily into sports rights in the future. So we'll probably discuss that as a threat or new competitors to ESPN. Now, if we're looking at theme parks, the biggest competitor would probably be Universal Studios, then Six Flags, SeaWorld, There are a lot of traditional theme parks out there that are quite smaller, but like we've talked about, um, Disneyland is the only one with Marvel characters, Mickey Mouse, all that good stuff. All right. I'm going to throw this question out there now because I think it's pertinent to the competition segment. You have to pick three streaming services. You only get three for the next, let's say, five years. Which are you going with? Let's start with Brad. Well, okay. Is Amazon Prime, you got to buy it yourself or what? Because, uh, yeah, you have to buy it. Okay, Brad, go ahead. And then is do do I get if I pick Disney Plus? Do I also get Hulu and ESPN or no? You can you can choose the bundle. Ooh, okay, that so that bundle, and I don't I don't own it yet, but I mean, it, with the, how quickly they're moving sports content over to Disney, it's only a matter or to their streaming, it's only a matter of time before I do. And then um, Netflix, I still think has like the best entertainment content and, and, and all that good stuff. And then uh, HBO Max has such better content than Paramount, but Paramount's going to have such better sports rights than HBO Max. It's like, ah, I don't know. I forgot, I'll go yeah, with, I forgot Paramount. They're getting their, they have the sports a little bit. They're a little smaller, but yeah. Yeah. I'd go with Paramount. Cause I want that. I want March madness and I want like all that stuff. Like I, I need to watch that. So I'll go with that. All right. All right. Um, you, I would go probably have to choose the, Disney bundle just because you're just getting three and one there. And this might be a little bit cheating, but ESPN plus. Yeah. In the same regard, if they move all the stuff like college football over there, I'll have to get it. Um, probably then go HBO. And then it depends where the sports rights fall. 
which I guess is an unknown here, but I'd probably go Apple. I like their shows better. Uh, really? Netflix Over Netflix doesn't make the cut, huh? Nah, I haven't watched it in a long time, really. So, all right. Brett, Ryan, what's your choice? I think I'm going to go with the bundle. I mean, ESPN Plus, it really, I mean, sports rights is like its own. It's always such a it's difficult monopoly, but with high cost. Thing. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to like analyze. But ESPN Plus for me, they have all the MLS games basically, and I watch that all the time. So, uh, yeah, I'd pay for that outright. But uh, since I'll get it in the bundle, I will take that. I will also take Netflix and HBO Max. All right. Yeah, HBO, HBO Max. Okay, Brad, let's move to management and ownership. Really old industry, or sorry, company. So I don't know if the founder. The founder ownership is really relevant here since he's dead, but why don't you just Yeah, the uh, founders are no longer involved in, in the company. Uh, it's been a little while. So uh, ownership team has changed hands, I mean, several times. So, I mean, we've done this with other companies like Stryker. That, that's another good one where they're a generational company where insider ownership, actually Stryker might have had a lot of, never mind, that might not be a good example, but insider ownership here is is, is very small. So insiders together own 0.15% of the company. Um, that's directly in shares outstanding. Iger owns um, 0.16% or, or they, insiders own a little bit, or about 0.2%. Sorry, that I, I forgot to change that before the show notes. So let me just put in the newsletter now. But um, Iger owns the vast majority of that. Chapek owns a tiny bit of it and, and will have more um, because it's interesting to note that his compensation, I mean, it's 90% equity performance incentives um, and return on invested capital. That's that's the key metric and the key barometer they're using, which we, which we love to see. Um, but so while he owns a very little of it outright today, it's it's very likely. I mean, it's going to happen. That is his stake and Iger's stake look more similar um, over time. Um, and then Vanguard uh, is at eight percent. BlackRock's at six and a half percent. State Street Corp is at four percent. Morgan Stanley at two percent. Um, it, it's it's just it's your typical bellwether generational company again. Very little insider ownership and a ton of institutional ownership. Um, and then in terms of the team, so. Uh, the, the trend here is, 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 is another, another encouraging one. So Shapek was with Disney for almost 30 years, climbing the ladder before being promoted. He, he had a job out of college and then started working for Disney. I mean, that, that's, his, that's his career trajectory. Um, the CFO, Christine McCarthy, pretty much the same thing. She was climbing the ladder for 20 years before her promotion. Um, she's a board member at Procter & Gamble, just a, a fun side note. But I, I mean, that, that's, that's the theme, that's the trend here. Uh, you work for Disney for a long, long, long time. You get promoted a lot. And eventually, uh, you're an executive. Uh, there are obviously exceptions to that rule, but that that's pretty much the trend. What do you guys think of the difference between a company that likes to bring outsiders in versus a company like Disney that is more insiders? Do you think it's positive? I kind of like the Disney model because you know Chapek really probably had a good grasp of the insides of the parks business and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it depends on the business. Um, whether or not someone from the outside could just come in and run it properly. I think with Disney, culture is such a big aspect. So grooming any sort of successors for several years prior seems like it's a big part of it. And in reading through Bob Iger's book. Can't seem to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's been... I guess he's I think now, every so single, except for Mike Eisner, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I think every single one has been within the company, every single CEO. Yeah, I think that's right. Brad, any, is that a positive for you when you see something like that? I guess just a bit of nuance, uh, which is, is, is um, yeah, just, so I guess for an example that I would use is, is match group and how Char, and, and I know you guys are familiar with this one too, and we're, we're, we're both holders. I don't know if you guys still are, so correct me if I'm wrong. 
Um, but they, the execution has been a little lacking um, and, and bringing in Brian Kim from Zynga and EA Sports, who's got really relevant experience and a lot of success with a la carte, which is where I want them to go. I won't talk about match too much because that's not the, the show, but, but just when, when the ship needs to be righted, I, I kind of like those external hires. But when, when you have a Disney that's just chugging along like it has been for decades and decades, uh, I think internal makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. All right, Ryan, why don't you hit recent earnings? No, it's a complicated one, so we're going to have a lot of numbers here, uh, but we'll have some good charts for anyone uh, on the Substack and the drive. Yeah, I put some trailing 12-month figures down here, but it's been moving quickly because of the COVID situation and how much of this is, how much of parks is related to international travel and so forth. And since the year-over-year comps are wonky there, it pay more attention to the most recent quarter than the trailing 12 month figures. With that said, $81 billion in the last 12 months, that's up just under 30% from the 12 months prior, 34% gross margins and just under 10% operating margins. Most recent quarter, their total revenue was 21 and a half billion. That was up 26% uh, year over year. Parks and resorts generated 7.5 billion, up 70%. And then media and entertainment generated 14 billion, up 11%. Uh, they had $3.6 billion in operating income. So that's about a 16.6 or it's, it's 16%, let's say operating margins. Parks has 30% operating margins. Media has roughly 1% operating margins. So, um, or sorry, I, I may have, may have botched that figure. I think it might've been a little under 10%. Sorry. Um, and so parks really is sort of the operating profit driver for the time being. However, linear networks is quite profitable, but they're losing money currently in the streaming aspect. So they're pouring a lot of their money there. They would have been probably more profitable on a lower revenue base if they just stuck with the linear networks and they probably wouldn't have had, uh, that would have been concerning for their future, but um, the transitional period and we'll see what happens because who knows six months from now when they raise prices on Disney plus and the bundle and all that good stuff, what is going to happen plus the advertising tier i'm sure we'll talk about later yeah and it seems like the economics of the streaming model aren't quite proven it isn't sort of i would hope and i think all investors would hope you're not looking at sort of the steady state economics or the or the mature state <laughs> economics yeah, i would hope so yeah <laughs> and uh but in terms of the direct to consumer uh offering here's sort of the subscriber and the revenue per user breakdown. So Disney Plus, which includes Hotstar, has 152 million subscribers globally. That's up 31% year over year. They have $4.35 global ARPU. So average revenue per user, that's up about 5%. And then ESPN Plus has just under 23 million subs. That's grown 53% over the last year. And they have a $4.55 ARPU. However, they just raised prices, which I don't think was included in this quarter. It must not have been from, they literally doubled prices, if I'm not mistaken, from $4.99 to $9.99. So yeah, there's also a bundle included in that too. So sometimes that can lower ARPU for ESPN Plus. Right. And then Hulu, uh, 46.2 million subscribers here. Almost all of those are for the streaming video offering. So not the live TV. It's the, it, it, there's a mix between Hulu ad supported and, and, premium, but there's also the live TV offering, which is like almost 10 times the price. Um, very few of the subscribers are the live TV. Um, but so excluding live TV, about $13 average revenue per user, that was actually down from last year. So of those three, 
what do you think looks the most promising? Do you, or maybe I'll pose it this way. Do you see those three services getting integrated more tightly over the coming years? Uh, I don't know, Brad, any thoughts on that? I, I maybe, I, I guess I, I do think, and we're talking about ESPN plus versus their, 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 all their other content and, and kind of sports versus um, scripted entertainment. But I, I really think there's this, there's this just wildly passionate cohort of sports fans who only want that, um, which I, I can sort of relate, relate to a little bit personally. And I think just creating that as a standalone option on its own is going to do really well. And then also bundling, it's going to do really well. So I think yes to both is, is my answer. Yeah. The, It'd be interesting to see if they combine Hulu and Disney Plus because of the similarities there, although it is slightly different because Disney Plus is more of those family-friendly stuff uh, and the fantasy and uh, National Geographic and whatever, and Hulu's more of the dramas and comedies. But it seems like the Disney Plus will be more important holistically for the company because it'll drive more, let's say, okay, down the line, they want to drive their parks business in India or something after, after they really have so many fans there and Disney plus will be a good way to lock in all these customers to start loving all their different IP and stuff like that. And that's true within the home markets as well, but ESPN plus on its own, I think can be the better business um, just on its own, just because of the exclusivity you get with sports rights. Just, just one quick correction. The media business has about 10% operating margins right now. I put 1% that was wrong. So, however, it still stands. Linear networks is more profitable than that. And they're losing money in the streaming business currently. So that's offsetting what would have been stronger profitability. Yeah. All right. Let's move to balance sheet and liquidity. Brad. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, very important part of the part of the, this conversation, especially, I mean, when you're, when you're again, competing with um, Amazon and all these other companies with just so much money to spend and not optimizing for margins, like you need cash on the balance sheet if you want to be able to compete. Um, and, and it has, it has that um, more than pretty much any other legacy media provider, maybe, and not to the certain, not nearly to the extent of these mega cap tech companies, but it, it's better off than most of the other legacy media providers, but um, it's got 13 billion in cash and equivalents. Um, five and a half billion in current debt, another forty billion um, in, in total debt, uh, and and I mean that's that's really just a product of how wildly steady and 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 consistent of a cash cow the, these parks have been over the years. I mean it, it can afford to really comfortably lever up the balance sheet and spend, um, which it's done, and I, and I'm sure the last two years of the pandemic has been a little anxiety provoking from them with having all this done on the balance sheet and the parks being shuttered for a little while, but um, they seem to have come back really strongly, and 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 that's great news for the company because that really is 
um, the balance sheet fortifier that they need to continue to compete and to continue to pay for all these rights that they need. Yeah, the, uh, and it's not even that, the debt load's not even that bad for a media company. No. Which, it, yeah, which is funny to say, but yeah. <laughs> was, was some of that debt, and Brett, maybe you know, or Brad, you might have seen it, uh, acquired in the, did, did they take on some of that debt to finance the 21st Century Fox deal? Um, I believe that was all stock, but again, I, I did not look at the details of that acquisition. Yeah, I'm not sure. The I know the share count went up, so they definitely used stock in some regard. But yeah, if you look at the share chart. Uh, but either way, that was they have a lot of debt. The share count actually hasn't gone down, although it did go down. If we look at the chart from like, I'm just going off the top of my head, you're like 2014, 2018. But after they acquired Fox, it went back up. Um, so yeah, hopefully, uh, I'll continue in the future, but I'll hit valuation. Um, as a note, we'll have the dynamic valuation because we know it can change. This is based on a stock price of $121 and 84 cents. Current enterprise value is approximately $255.7 billion. And that leads to a trailing enterprise value to operating income of 49.2 and a trailing enterprise value to free cash flow of 207. Should note though, that these numbers look bad because of the investments into streaming and the parks haven't really gotten back to their full go yet. So if we like isolated, I, I mean, I, I didn't calculate the numbers, but if you isolated the theme parks division and did an enterprise value to operating income solely off of that, it would be, I, I don't know, like uh, EV to operating income like 30. So Again, the numbers look wonky right now. Free cash flow is going to look bad. However, that just means that you have to be confident in the continued cash flow of the parks and experiences business and then the ramp up of the streaming business to continue growing at a high rate. We look at their potentially dilutive securities as a percentage of shares outstanding that has hung out at around 2% for the last five years. So they have a decent amount of dilution coming in. Historically, they bought back stock, although it has paused because of the 21st century, 21st century Fox acquisition and COVID, but it's been pretty consistent at about 2%. So that would be stock options, RSUs, stuff like that. And as Brad mentioned, they do use that um, when compensating their executive team. All right. Fun stuff. Anecdotal evidence, Brad, uh, or Ryan, just one quick note before we get to the fun stuff. I'm looking at the Fox deal right now. Uh, Half cash, half stock took on 14 billion of net debt or Disney assumed $14 billion in net debt in the acquisition. So that there was p- part of that debt balance that uh, Brad mentioned was acquired from that. And sizable acquisition, 70, what, 1 billion, something like that? I think so, yeah. All right. Anecdotal Evans, Brad, I know everyone's got opinions on this stuff, but what are our thoughts? Yeah. And actually in, in between uh, this and in our next section, I'm going to, I'm going to look back up the goodwill number. Cause I think that's an important number to, to share here too. And, and I forgot to include that in the balance sheet, but um, for anecdotal evidence um, before I get too distracted. So Disney had some killer shows growing up. I mean, I, I, I think I probably speak for most of our, our age group that when school ended at three or 4 PM, well, I would go home and, and watch maybe Seinfeld or friends, but, but uh, on TBS, but then, immediately go to Disney Channel for some Hannah Montana or from Sweet Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I mean, it's just, it, it was nostalgia and they have fantastic, I mean, they have fantastic content and they have, um, and, and they've delivered it like decade after decade. So uh, that that is my anecdotal evidence that they have given me a lot of entertainment growing up. 
Yeah. yeah. For the kids, they got a lot. I mean, Nickelodeon is popular, but Disney Channel and Disney in general, not just the channel, was popular. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Uh, well, I guess anecdotal evidence on the parks. Uh, there is something kind of magical about them. I know that's the whole uh, lure. Um, and you're willing to, especially if you're like raising a family, I think you're going to pay whatever it costs to have that experience. Um, Go into debt. Take out a loan. Yeah. Take out a home. Take out a loan on your house. And go to Disneyland, uh, but no, I mean it's true. They ought to start. They, they ought to start offering Disneyland <laughs> credit. Yeah, let's get up starting to that, Brad. Uh, the, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, but no, there's been no signs of slowing down, and they just continually raise prices. Yeah, I think uh, I love most Pixar films, or I used to love them maybe a little bit more. I did love the Marvel brand. It's fallen off a little bit lately. Um, maybe I'm just getting old. And then I like, I like star Wars, the, all of those. Um, and then I also on the ESPN plus I put here that I'd be willing to pay $20 a month purely for ESPN plus. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Like they have, yeah, sorry, go ahead. However, they don't have all this stuff on there yet. They are. And this is part of the problem with sports rights in general. They're losing the MLS games here soon to Apple TV. I would not pay more than 10 bucks a month without it well, that's uh, not real football ryan that's that's like yeah, fake I, well i mean that's, but here's the here's the point of the sports right there is a cohort of fans that like mls whether it's like five million or i'm kidding i'm kidding yeah right <laughs> and it's the and so i think this is like a john malone said something like this about sports rights and i know this is about to get into right he said this about espn growth opportunity no i mean in sports rights in general where he says basically you're buying medium-term oh. contracts taking yeah. the risk of whether or not it's going to be profitable or not. And then if you do squeak out any profits by the end of it, when you re-up the contract, they take all those. However, he also said ESPN was the great tax on the American people. So yeah, there's two, you know, he said some different things there. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough conundrum though. It's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. It's just costly content, I guess. Um, did you already go on the anecdotal? No, I just, this is a joke here for anyone reading it, but it plays into the Marvel stuff. I see uh, previews for like She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and I kind of think, attorney. are they... Is Attorney at... That's like the full name of the sh- movie? I, yeah. She-Hulk, colon, Attorney at Law. No, I think it might be a TV show. I really have no idea. But I worry about too much juicing of the Marvel brand. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's a problem. Well, it is first of all, is attorney at law redundant, or 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 is that just me? Um, well, that's true. <laughs> that's that's that, that's a good point. I never thought of that. But okay, so the only thing that I'll say, and and I'll I'll leave out my opinion here on whether I think more woke content is good or bad. But um, I've I've been seeing just a lot of anecdotes about kind of these shows sort of catering to more progressive mentalities, just totally flaming out in terms of viewership. So. Um, and, and I mean, Disney very much there is very much so kind of a cultural, a central cultural piece of, of our of our country. So they have to follow these trends and shifts. But uh, it'd be interesting to see how that kind of translates in, into into viewership as, as as different companies kind of do different things. Uh, I don't, whatever if it's progressive or not, that show just doesn't. I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be like okay, look, Marvel's supposed to have your big like. People, whatever, from the comic books, I don't really know much about them. And they're pumping out all these different shows that are supposed to be huge 
either movies or, or television shows that are supposed to be billion dollar blockbusters. And if you're doing like five or six of them a year, or maybe even like 10, it just feels weaker. Um, yeah. If you get what I mean, because like, she returns. Yeah. If, okay. For example, if the star Wars movies back in the eighties, this might be going on a tangent, we're probably going to move on, but like they came out once every two years. And I think they've done that for all the rest of them. If they had all three come out in one year, people wouldn't, it just would have been different, right? There has to be some sort of anticipation. And I know it's been so successful with Marvel, but you don't see the deterioration until it shows up in the numbers. Like the deterioration within the quality will happen before it shows up in the numbers. And I'm just worried that that could sneak up on them. However, I mean, it's a phenomenal asset and they can utilize it at the parks and stuff like that, which is just great. Yeah, yeah I don't know how to think about that because maybe... Maybe it's just us getting out of the age demographic that it's targeting. Maybe. Uh, but, or, I mean, yeah, the frequency. The frequency, though, still, like people like, it's, I mean, yeah. kids still like Nintendo stuff and they do not nearly as um, much quick of pace. All right. Future growth opportunities. I know we've got so many different avenues we can go here, but Brett. Yeah, I, I think so. Mine is super simple. Just, just go buy a lot of content that, you know, people are going to want to watch. I think we're in a land grab right now and they can, they have the flexibility to outspend Netflix and and Warner brothers and, and Paramount and all these legacy media companies. They don't have the capacity to outspend Apple and Amazon. Um, and, and I think their success is pretty inevitable, but they can separate themselves in terms of um, building the content library versus pretty much every single other legacy media company in the world. Um, and, and I think that's really important right now. I know we're in this period of rising rates and diminishing liquidity and, and extremely hawkish macro and people want profits and they don't want growth and they don't want speculative long, longer tail projects. But I think it's the right thing to do and, and, and leaning into streaming and, and, and kind of um, just doing what they think is the right thing in, in the near term for, for long, longer term success, I think is probably tough to palate for a lot of people right now. Uh, again, just wanting, um, wanting, wanting near term cash flows and wanting um, less speculation. But, but I think, they're in a position to really separate themselves and, and to build yet another moat and or kind of not not build another moat, but but transition this um, this moat that they've built in linear to streaming really effectively, um, more so effectively than than pretty much everybody else already existing in the space. Yeah, the that's an interesting point because if Netflix is kind of frozen right now and not being able to grow their content spend, or I think they said they're not growing it anymore, and Disney is able to generate tons of cash from the parks and experiences side they can run D to C at a loss at way, you know, for way longer than everyone else. Um, is that the right strategy? Maybe, but they have that flexibility. Um, Ryan, what's yours? Looks like you have two. Two. All right. A little bit of a cheater here, but I think it's fair for, for Disney. Yeah, I kind of pick one. Uh, the So either A, they launch a sports betting app or have some sort of partnership with in the ESPN brand. I think that's like really sort of the logical thing to do. Um, and they know this, it's been talked about on the conference calls. Um, they obviously have such a good brand in sports. It feels like there has to be a way to leverage that on the betting side. Um, Maybe like try to buy one of those companies. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. They they said this in the conference call. They said, we found that basically our sports fans that are under 30 absolutely require this type of utility in the overall portfolio of what ESPN offers. So we think it's important. We are working hard on it and we hope to have something to announce in the future in terms of a partnership there that will allow us to access that revenue stream. It sounds like maybe they're going to do this with some sort of a third party. 
Um, hard to see, but obviously a lot of revenue to be had there. The other one, and this is more speculative, more what I want to personally see is I, uh, we've kind of talked about this with Alex Morris before, maybe this convergence between traditional media. So uh, either streaming or linear and interactive media in the form of gaming. I'd like to see Disney acquire a video game publishing studio. Um, they work with EA on several of the brands. That's as you mentioned earlier, they, they license the star Wars brand. So EA can make the bat. I think it's battlefront or a lot of different ones. Yeah. Um, but I think they should either acquire them or Nintendo. I know it doesn't Nintendo's seem, not gonna, I know they're not going to sell, but in a perfect world. I mean, that would be the ultimate. I mean, that would be a trillion dollar company, but it's two very loved brands. I mean, yeah. I mean, it would be a trillion. It would be a, yeah, it would be amazing if you took Nintendo's products and gave them Disney's ability to choose revenue, choose money out of people. Yeah, uh, it would be phenomenal. So I think the parks, there's the parks element as well. Um, they could kind of combine on the parks efforts. Uh, EA also works in sports as well. So since as the premier sports one, I mean, EA, yeah. there's rumors that EA is, was going to get acquired by Comcast. So they're floating their, uh, they're sending some birdies out to, to see. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, I think Disney would probably have to take on some debt to do it for sure, or maybe or make it a stock deal. Yeah. yeah, um, and some people hate some people don't think the idea of an EA acquisition makes sense, but I think those are really durable franchises. Um, and there is, I think, a lot recently, especially the development studios that have been acquired have been sort of aqua hires where it's hard to find development teams for video games that are really yeah. strong and EA's got tons of them. So and um, the combo with sports would be great. I mean, if they got it right, yeah. I mean, it'd be a hell of a lot better than 21st century Fox, but I guess that would lead into our highlights. And all I'll talk about mine. We talked about ESPN plus, and that is just bring, my future growth opportunity is bringing all of their sports to streaming. Um, I don't want to list them all out, but if anyone that's a sports fan knows, Whatever you watch on ESPN, those are the rights that Disney has. Uh, so college football, some NFL football, MLS, like Ryan mentioned, Formula One, uh, big NBA partnership. But they are in the pole position right now with the growth of ESPN Plus at around 22.8 million subscribers. If we extrapolate out and say at a $15 monthly ARPU, which is just average revenue per user, and that would also include ads, which are always going to be on sports um, just because of the breaks in the, the action. At $15 on a monthly ARPU at 75 million subs, that is $17 billion in annual revenue before any you know ancillary products like sports betting, like Brian mentioned. Feels very doable that this could turn into you know their revenue outpacing their content content costs there. Uh, so generating positive cash flow. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this one? Is that too optimistic? Is that too pessimistic even i know they're not going to charge 20 dollars a month like ryan mentioned but they do have a lot of pricing power with espn plus once they move everything over i i worry about having your value all the value in your streaming offering tied to sports because i just don't think there's a lot of profitability there mm, but who well this could be the amazon and apple conundrum and that could toss a wrench into here but you're not you're not going to go anywhere else 
because we saw that with the Pac-12 for football, they tried to do their own thing and they totally failed and ESPN and Fox are pushing them out. You can't, don't you have Big Ten to Network has done pretty well. Does, this, who, does someone, who, does Big Ten, does the Big Ten own Big Ten Network or who owns no, that? No, that is, uh, I believe that is through Fox, but this is kind of in the weeds here. That, that sounds right. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but I feel like it's a bit of a, they need each other now. The NFL might be different because there's so But there's so bigger. many competitive bidders. There are more now. I mean, CBS is not going to be able to, to really bid up. But I, again, I, that concern about Apple and Amazon is warranted. Those could be, they, those could definitely throw a wrench in this. Right, Brad, sorry, Brad, do you have anything? I mean, the only thing I, I, I... <laughs> I would I would pay a lot of money for ESPN Plus. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I I'd pay a lot of money for sports streaming rights, and I wouldn't pay that much money for um, like scripted, scripted content. Maybe I think I might be a little bit of an, an anomaly where you could charge thirty or forty bucks a month, and I'd still probably pay it. But um, but yeah, the and what's interesting is if the TV bundle, the cable bundle, breaks up and people basically have what eighty to hundred bucks a month freed up, that. A lot of that could flow into ESPN Plus. Don't say. Okay, let's move on to highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you have for us? Yeah, so the, the leadership team, I, I mean, it's full of veterans. And, and I, I, I hate to sound redundant, but it really is important to me that you've got one executive after another that, that has been with the company for 20, 30 years. I, I mean, when, when I look across my holdings and, and average 10 years are, are like four or five years up for, for upper management, um, it, it's just a strength that I, that I really admire from the team. Um, the other thing is, uh, and, and Brett and Ryan have both given this idea publicly before, which I which I agree with, is that low low margins, so really capital intensive businesses, they're not, I mean, they're not sexy and, and they're not, I mean, they're not, they don't excite us because there's not 90% gross margins and 40% even margins. And but but what there is is a, a very large uh, up, upfront cost associated with building all, all these all these uh, content benefits. There's a very large upfront cost with building and maintaining these parks. Um, and, and I don't really think it's it's very easy to emulate. So the highlight here is that I hate the word moat and I don't like to use it a lot, but there's a very clear moat here um, in, in terms of what they've built, um, especially on the park side and also on the content side that I think they're fortifying um, through a lot of needed investments. Um, the lowlights, uh, it doesn't seem like Iger and Shapek get along very well. So uh, while the tenures have been very lengthy, I've, I've heard Shapek hint at him regretting hiring, or I've, I've heard Iger hint at regretting hiring Shapek and choosing him. Um, that would, I don't love to hear that, um, but but I mean, it, it's not the end of the world. They're, they're two very powerful people in, in media, and, and it's not all that surprising that they don't see eye to eye on everything. Um, but, uh, and, and also, so just to get to that capital intensive point again, and the flip side of that is that I don't think cycles of heavy investment will really ever slow down for this company. Um, and and, and I, I think that is fine considering what they are and who they are and what they've built, but it just needs to be kept in mind that this is not going to be a low CapEx company where you're going to see a ton of operating leverage or anything like that in the legacy business. Yeah, I agree. And at least Iger's out. Is he totally out? Now. Yeah, he's off the board now. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's fine, but that transition is always a concern. Uh, I guess the egos didn't match. All right, Ryan, what do you got for highlights on the lights? I think the Disney bundle, and we all put it in our uh, top three, is the best overall value in streaming, thanks to both the diversity of the offering and just the sheer size of the catalog. Um, so 
I think there's room to increase prices there, probably even double prices over the next five years. Um, and then they basically are <laughs> not, yeah, they did like, well, they did it over <laughs> one year. They did it on a whim. Uh, but they, uh, I also think the parks are maybe one of the best businesses around that I can think of in terms of durability and being able to generate more, like, I think it's 30% operating margins. People are traveling literally around the world to come see these things and they continue to pay more and more. Um, obviously it's CapEx intensive. There's probably a lot of maintenance CapEx included as well as growth CapEx for building out new elements of the park. Um, but it also turns people into lifelong Disney fans. If you go visit that when you're a kid, those interactions with Disney characters builds affinity for the brand forever. Um, low lights for me. And this was something that was brought up. I recommend going and listening to, there was a podcast called yet another value podcast where our friend Alex Morris went on and he kind of talked about the media landscape overall. And one idea that was posed was this idea of just increasing costs to acquire attention. And it isn't, Disney isn't necessarily just competing with Netflix. They're also competing with uh, video games. Uh, They're competing with Roblox. They're competing for time spent. And there's so many alternatives today that it's it's really increasing the cost to attract that attention. And so I worry about that going forward. Obviously, yes, wonderful IP. I'm still going to go to the theaters when they, they release really good movies, but as you said, yeah, you saw Thor Love and Thunder over Top Gun. Uh, Although I might be I might be changing on that after a few few flops on Marvel's part. What but, would you give them? B minus instead of like A now or what ones? I don't really watch those. So are on they the like, Marvel ones? Yeah. Nah, those were C's. Really? That bad? Yeah, Thor was pretty bad. But anyway, the um I just think it's getting really competitive for uh customers' time and it's not what it was. I think a lot of people are comparing this to the um, the onset of linear, whatever it was, 50 years ago, and who's going to be the winners there. I think it's very different. There's a different competitive landscape here because you're including all that interactive entertainment as well. And then I just have no idea what mature state economics look like for streaming. So, um, And that's where they're allocating tons of resources. Does that become some sort of a loss leader? fine that's not the end of the world parks can continue to grow but it's a different investment thesis well yeah then we're gonna see a lower enterprise value for sure all right i'll hit my highlights and lowlights i think i have a lot of overlap so let's see we'll, we'll skip any that i already talked about i mean highlights i don't i mean i guess i'll just reiterate the lock on family offerings plus sports I feel, if they have that feel pretty confident they're in their ability to maintain viewership compared to someone like even netflix um, as we continue the transition to streaming and then also compared to other companies that were in the legacy business as they transition to streaming, Disney is in a clearly better spot. Now as low lights, um, there's a few that I had here that you guys didn't have here. The recent capital allocation decisions seem poor. Um, the acquisition of Fox, I mean, can we say it was clearly a bad deal at that price? Like, What were their big, what, hot star? is kind of their big Fox, I mean Fox content the Simpsons um avatar I guess came with that Ooh. some other stuff but look was it just think about it if Disney didn't have them 
And I think National Geographic was in there as well. But again, I, I don't have all the details on what Fox owned. If they, if, they, if they just raised all the money and had $70 million, would it be better to have that or Fox? I mean, come on. Oh. Or it just seems yeah. like it gives me, it doesn't give me the highest of confidence that the executive team will act rationally for shareholders. Because if I saw that deal, I mean, clearly, look, look at the revenue per share, look at all that stuff. And yeah, COVID's been in the mix, but it's been down. Um, it hasn't been great since the acquisition. Now, let's see. Um, the flip side of pricing power, I think, is a bit of a low light for me because if you're growing from raising prices, especially at the parks, all else equal, I think it's the t- typically the weakest form of growth because you, you have to make sure you're taking care of all your stakeholders. If you're pushing out the lower income consumers, that could be a negative for your brand. If it's only rich people that can afford to go to Disney World and Disneyland, um, yeah, it's great for margins, but how many it's people not, are going to be really upset yeah. with you? Yeah, I mean, the margins are going to be fantastic, but again, I, you, you don't have infinite price power. It seems like they do, but eventually uh, they'll reach that limit. Um, and then lastly, I think the only one else we haven't discussed is I think the chance of writing down the China business to zero seems high. Don't like the China risk with this business. All right, bold case. Brad, what do you think? Uh, yeah, so for me, I, I mean, the bull case is is pretty wonderfully simple. So it continues rapid subscriber growth within streaming and can eventually turn that um, into a respectably profitable self-funding business. Um, maybe not another cash cow, but um, at that point, uh, the pounds of cash that is being generated by the other side of the business can be used for more aggressive shareholder returns and, and M&A to, to kind of create this this next uh, leg of growth that, that I'm sure we'll, we'll see in a decade or two. So um, the, the bull case is that this transition goes smoothly, really, and, and that they continue to rapidly grow their subscriber base and they continue to see the fruits of, of these investments, which which are, are quite aggressive at this point in time. So um, to me, it's got it's kind of got to work if, if they want to be able to if they want to be in this position of power and flexibility the next time we get another transition that, that, that they'd like to be a part of. All yeah. right. Uh, bear, bear case, do you want to move to that or do you want to do? I don't know how we I can't remember if we do in combo, but. Brad, you want to hear your bear case? And then- sure. Yeah, I think so. News like Amazon uh, buying uh, NFL rights and 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 bidding wars for some of this content. And, and Ryan talked about this a lot. Uh, the, the pricing power they have with ESPN Plus, if they can keep that that cohort of, of sports rights, it, it's massive for me, and I'm sure it's massive for a lot of other people. But it's not sticky. It's not sticky. I don't care if I'm watching. The NFL on on Disney or Amazon or on Apple, like I'm I'm going to where the NFL is. I'm not going to where Disney is. So if while while they are in a better position to spend than um, again all the other 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 legacy media business businesses, they are less cash rich than all the other mega cap competitors that are coming after them. So these 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 companies have many more cash cows besides one that they can take advantage of, and and they 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 don't need to earn they they don't need to show operating leverage here as quickly or or as meaningfully as, as I think Disney does. And that puts them in a position to be able to outbid them on some really key sports content right rights that that for me would would just just anecdotally speaking turn me into a customer of them versus Disney. Yeah. Ryan, what's your bull and bear case? Bull case, uh just to put some numbers on it, I think five years. Um over the next five years they reach four hundred million total subscribers. I think they're north of 200 million right now but it's uh 220-ish i believe but they also some of those are bundle subscribers that count as three so either way i'm just going to go ahead and say a double in subscribers i think that's realistic um 
aggregate ARPU doubles. So total revenue on a per user basis doubles across the board. Um, they grow, slightly grow uh, visits to this to their parks and then tickets grow mid to high single digits on an annual basis or ticket prices. And if you add all those things up, and I think if they're at 400 million subs and they're generating double the ARPU they have today, I would have to imagine that there's some sort of profitability on that streaming business. Yeah. And you're including advertising. People are like, where they're going to get that double. They're, they're launching advertising across a lot of the stuff now. Right. I mean, that should juice ARPU as well. Um, yeah. If the streaming economics get put to rest and the, and the parks is really sort of this, this steady stalwart, uh, I think there's a reasonable path to more than 15% free cash flow margins. Keep in mind, there is that high CapEx involved with uh, both both production and uh, parks. So 15% free cash flow margins on that base, I think you're going to get good returns. Yeah. I mean, or if you want to go bear case. Uh, bear case is that the competition for attention just continues to increase costs and that this the streaming is almost a lost leader or is like this break even where they're just constantly spending. You're never sure what the economics are going to look like. And then um, that, I mean, that is not the end of the world if it's a loss leader for the parks where the parks juice is all the cash flow, but it's a very different investment and you're probably not generating really solid returns with that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. Up to the listeners to decide. Uh, I'll hit mine. I mean, at the current enterprise value, which to reference again is about $255 billion, I mean, you probably have to see a path to about $20 billion annual free cash flow to make this work out over the long term because you need to see the cash flow eventually. Um, I think this can be done. Basically, you get $10 billion from parks. I think that's doable for sure, especially with these expansions, especially if international comes back. And then you have to see $10 billion from the video entertainment segments. If they're successful on both ends, I mean, you get the streaming ambitions met, parks recover, and are the cash cow, which is a little less risky. I mean, streaming is still a little bit more speculative on what the long-term unit economics are going to be. The investment will do quite well. Um, I, I, I wouldn't guarantee it because you never know if management is going to mismanage some stuff. But yeah, all right, I'll hit my bear case. I think mean, the China risk is big, writing that down. That's a huge market for them. They haven't been able to release a lot of movies over there. And who knows when the parks are ever going to be fully open again. Um I think there's been some mismanagement on some of the prized assets. Star Wars in particular doesn't seem to be utilized as well as it should be, or maybe they're fixing okay. that, but we'll see. I mean, it's they've had some total hits. Yeah. Hits on money for money making. Yeah. I mean, what the baby Yoda. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they've had some hits. The recent series, but yeah. Like, do you lose some of the affinity for the brand by having flops? Because I think they've also had some misses. Yeah. I mean, my dad was a huge Star Wars fan growing up. He'd care less about any of this stuff. I mean, he's older now. And you can see that happening to a lot of people. It's anecdotal, but look, I think it's just a concern. Yeah. Like, they need to manage it well when you have these prized assets. Um, and then, yeah, again, bear case for me is a lack of true profitability in streaming. I think that's the big concern is the lack of profitability in streaming. All right, more or less interested, Brad. Yeah, I'd go more. Um... I, I think I think I made it pretty clear why I like the company, so I won't. I'll try not to repeat myself. I just see a, a just very high probability of of it continuing to compound at that 
maybe five to 10% growth clip. And, and, and I see it as a very high likelihood winner in this, in this transition. Um, so more interested. Ryan? Less. Oh, surprise. And there are people that are smarter than me, investors I look up to that own this. And when I hear them talk about it, it's like, it's almost like they're like, ah, oh, it's so frustrating. I don't know what streaming's, you know, we don't know what content span and what it's going to look like. And it seems like a lot of frustrations on their end. I just don't see why like, it seems like there's easier bets to make if, if streaming's kind of this big uncertainty. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree. I don't even know what I'm, I feel like I should be more interested because the parks business is amazing, but I uh, kind of say on the fence, it, the price doesn't look too appealing to me versus the execution they're going to have to do onslaught of competition, sports rights. While I gave a good bull case for it, I don't, yeah, it's just tough to know what's going to happen. So I, I would love to buy this for 10 times parks income, but that's never going to happen. All right. <laughs> we have stock for next month. Brad on the monthly cadence is going to be joining the show. So what do you have for us for the next time you're on? Yeah, uh, I've, I've got a, another lending <laughs> disruptor. Uh, <laughs> I say kind of sarcastically a bit, but maybe not. We'll, we'll see. Uh, called Pagaya. So um, I own Upstart. Uh, it's it's about two billion dollar market cap. It's it's deeply profitable. It um, it's much larger than than Pagaya and growing at a a similar pace. And Pagaya is at a fourteen billion dollar market cap. So. Uh, a seven X premium uh, for a lot smaller business, so I'm 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 very eager to kind of dig into this one and see uh, what's going on here, and and to see if this is just the most impressive, amazing company in the entire world, and 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 kind of why. So um, I'll keep an open mind uh, and 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 excited to dig in. All right, and it's Pagaya Technologies. We should be clear. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, they're a SoFi. They are a SoFi partner, so I like them already. All right, so spelled like papaya. With a G. With a G. Yeah, we'll get all that info. It should be a fun investigation next week. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for subscribing. Remember, any complications with a subscription, email us, chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.